Well, the Super Bowl has come and gone, so one of the biggest betting days of the year is now behind us. But things are only getting heated up at mybookie.ag. Of course, as you know, you're listening to a hockey podcast. After all, there is no other sport like hockey. The fast tempo, the fights, like we saw at the Battle of Alberta, that was awesome. To the highlight real plays, there is no more exciting sport than hockey. And it gets even more exciting when you're placing your bets on hockey. Because you're an expert, you know who's going to win, you have a good feeling about it. Why not turn those feelings into cash? Nobody gives you more ways to win than mybookie.ag. They have the best payouts, better odds than any other sports book. And I wouldn't be telling you this if they were not the best. Now, if you join right now, mybookie.ag will match your deposit halfway all the way up to $1,000. You don't have to deposit $1,000 if you don't have it. Maybe you just wanted to play around with 50 bucks, such as say. You got 50 bucks from your Aunt Nana or your Grant Grammy, or maybe it's your birthday. You got 50 bucks for your birthday. Yay! First of all, happy birthday. Second of all, you can turn it into an extra $25 right now. By depositing it on mybookie.ag and using the promo code THPN. Using that promo code, mybookie will match that deposit by 50%. So they'll give you an extra $25 on top of that 50 to play with. How about that? Isn't that cool? Just use the promo code THPN to activate the offer and take advantage of this. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. It's that simple. This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. Hey, that's me. Another AHL divorce. Hello and welcome to Blue Notes, your hockey podcast network home for your reigning, defending, undisputed champion of the world, St. Louis Blues. And this is episode number 39, or as I like to call it, the Dominic Hostick episode of Blue Notes. Oh wait, the Blues never had Dominic Hostick. They nearly did but uh, they did not get him. So I can't call this the Dominic Hostick episode, but I can call it the Doug Waite episode of Blue Notes. Could have even called it the Kelly Chase episode. You know what? I am making an executive decision. I'm Tom Franklin, the host of Blue Notes on the Hockey Podcast Network. I hereby declare this the Kelly Chase episode of Blue Notes. You know why? I'm in a fighting mood today. I'm recording this the day after it was revealed that the St. Louis Blues are once again going to lose their AHL affiliates. Out of nowhere, the Vegas Gold Knights, apparently not content with the Chicago Wolves either, who'd have thunk, had decided, you know what? We're going to buy our own AHL team and we're going to move them to Las Vegas. And what team is that going to be? The San Antonio Rampage. Yeah, not not good. Not good. So we're going to talk about that. 
And then coming up, we have a special uh, segment here, uh, Blue Notes Margin to History coming up, where we go into another trade vortex. And we are going to connect Al McGinnis back to 1979 when the Blues had the first overall pick in the NHL draft. That pick did not work out so well, but through a series of seven trades, we can connect this draft bust to the legendary Al McGinnis. It is another trade vortex on Blue Notes. The Blue Notes march into history. So let's go ahead and get right into it here. Uh, first of all, thank you very much to our uh, partners, CoolHockey.com, uh, as well as NFLShop.com, and of course, MyBookie.ag. All right, we've got that out of the way. Good, because I'm in a mood. The Blues. Uh, you may give you a little bit of a history if you're not a Blues fan, or maybe you've forgotten. So during this decade, starting out, the Blues were affiliates of the Worcester Ice Cats of Massachusetts, a very random partnership, if you ask me. Uh, and this came about after a longtime partnership with the Peoria Rivermen. And then that went away. Worcester came in, and then the Peoria Rivermen came back into play. Uh, the Blues ended up buying the franchise in the AHL. And growing up for me, and then continuing into my young adult life, Peoria was always the place you thought of when you saw that the Blues were sending someone to the minors. It just kind of became synonymous with being a St. Louis Blues fan. Prospects, players that get demoted, they all go to Peoria. You just say they're going to Peoria. You know, you don't say they're going to the AHL. You just say, oh, he's going to Peoria. Or, hey, he came from Peoria. Well, in 2013... With the team struggling financially, which definitely is not the first time in this franchise's history, the Blues sold the Peoria Riverman franchise to Vancouver, who then moved the team up closer to them. And the Rivermen are now existing as a SPHL team, the Southern Professional Hockey League. Uh, and it's not even the same Rivermen. I don't even think they can claim the history of the old Rivermen, but I could be wrong on that. But that's 2013. So 2013 comes and goes. 2014, they sign an affiliation with the Chicago Wolves. Now, for the Blues at the time, the Chicago Wolves were a zero-cost proposition. There was no cost out of pocket for the Blues whatsoever to have the Wolves as an affiliate. And it was very attractive for the Blues at the time because they were trying to save as much as they can. So they didn't have to pay the staff. They didn't have to pay for the stadium. They didn't have to pay for ownership. It was all handled by the Wolves themselves. But as time would go on, the Wolves proved to not be the best partners for the St. Louis Blues because... You know, it, it's kind of like, you know, that, you know, one team in your like youth league growing up that was just hardcore, wanted that title so bad so they can be mount, they can be the champions of the molehill that is your league. I mean, you have the really driven coach, you know, you have, you know, the, the, the kids that are almost doing like professional um, you know, forward lines and defensive lines and defensive tactics. The, just a team that's just way too invested in winning 
and they really don't give a flying hoot if their players develop to be anything at all. That's the Chicago Wolves. The Chicago Wolves are so hell-bent on winning a minor league championship every single year like people in Chicago are going to give a shit about them winning the AHL championship every year. They will, instead of playing the professional hockey team's players that are sent to them for development, they will instead play these jackass bums who can't hack it in the NHL, but for some reason have the AHL locked down on tight, and they will prom- they will play and promote those players instead. And whenever the Blues ask the Wolves, hey, could you play Jordan Bennington more, or could you play Sammy Blay more, or Wade Megan more, uh, the Wolves basically were like, fuck you. This is our team, our rules, and it was it led to a very acrimonious relationship that eventually ended when the Vegas Golden Knights came into the league and when Vegas came in, they signed an affiliation deal with the Chicago Wolves and for about a year you had this kind of weird Blues Wolves partnership going on there uh and the Blues also started kind of a halfway partnership with the San Antonio Rampage, who at the time were the Colorado Avalanches AHL team. So the Blues got sole custody, if you will, the San Antonio Rampage, when the Colorado Avalanche decided to promote uh, to buy the Colorado Eagles of the ECHL and basically just move them up to the AHL. The same logo, same history, Uh, the Colorado Eagles would be the affiliates of the Colorado Avalanche. So that was part of a trend of teams wanting to get their minor league teams very close. So you have the Colorado Avalanche and the Colorado Eagles. You have uh, Vancouver and I believe it's now Abbotsford, you know, the former Rivermen. Um, There seems to be a growing trend of teams wanting their AHL team very close by. And This deal with Vegas and the Rampage is no exception to that rule. Uh, Vegas wants to move the Rampage to Henderson, which is a suburb of Las Vegas, and call them the Henderson Silver Knights. And basically the idea is that you can send players up and down and they're no more than a 20-minute car ride between arenas. So... Unfortunately, the Blues end up getting screwed here once again because they signed a five-year deal with the San Antonio Rampage. They were looking for stability. The Rampage were just about the only team left that they could have signed a deal with. And if you're the Blues, you're looking at the Rampage, you're thinking, hey, it's a big city. They're owned by Spurs Entertainment, the NBA team. So, you know, you had a professionally managed team in a big city. That's Yeah, it's a little far. St. Louis to San Antonio is not a short drive. You have to fly everyone to and from. I mean, I tried to make the drive to from Dallas to San Antonio when I went there a couple years ago, and it's just getting from Dallas to San Antonio is a pain in the ass. You know, now I add, you know, a couple states between that, and, well, it's, it's even worse. So, and, of course, the Rampage weren't playing well this year, but, I mean, it wasn't anything that the Rampage were doing by all accounts the Blues were very happy with their relationship with the Rampage. But, yeah, I guess the fans weren't turning out the way the management liked in San Antonio. They weren't promoted the best. 
they were kind of treated as an afterthought, you know, because let's face it, if you have your choice between an NBA team and an AHL team, you're probably going to spend more time promoting the NBA team. And I can't really blame the Spurs there. So here comes Vegas. They buy the Rampage. And next season, they're going to Henderson. And that's uh, uh, looks like that's pretty much a done deal at this point. The AHL still has to approve the deal. So where does this leave the Blues? Vegas, as I said, took over the Chicago Wolves affiliation. They'll be dropping that like a hot rock. And uh, that was already announced that they'll be splitting up. And this obviously leaves the obvious solution here. The Blues go crawling back to the Chicago Wolves. I know, it doesn't sound good. I hate it. 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 And I hope it doesn't happen, at least for more than one year. I can see it being a one-year kind of a thing, but that's it. I don't see the Blues and Wolves having a happy relationship um, ever. Unless the Blues were to buy the Wolves and, you know, Stanley Cup money, you know, they, they, they've got to be, I mean, they're raking in the money from merchandise and season tickets. I mean, maybe it's time for the Blues to own an AHL team again. Maybe it's time to move an AHL team to the family arena or Chaffetz Arena in Midtown or, dare I say, across the state in Kansas City. This is the option that I prefer, and it's also an option that doesn't require the St. Louis Blues to actually buy the franchise. As you may or may not know, there was talks in the last couple of years that the Hunt family that owns the Kansas City Chiefs was working to get an AHL team going. They, it would have been a situation, I think, kind of like the Colorado Eagles, where the Eagles made the leap from the ECHL to the AHL. And this would probably be that a very similar situation to that, where Lamar, the, the Hunt family, rather, I should say, they own the Kansas City Mavericks of the ECHL. And it's a market that has wanted hockey for a while. And it's also a, a market that has a natural synergy with the St. Louis Blues. Because you have the I-70 connection, they're also a Missouri team, and you have a lot of harmony between the St. Louis Blues and Kansas City Chiefs lately. Uh, remember during the Stanley Cup final, Pat Mahomes and uh, Travis Kelsey went to Enterprise Center to watch the Blues games. And then at the All-Star game, you had uh, Jordan Bennington uh, coming out in a Patrick Mahomes jersey at the red carpet, and then Ryan O'Reilly wearing a Chiefs helmet during warmups. So there is obviously some love building between the Blues and the Chiefs. And if this if if the Hunt family really 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 wants to establish some sort of link between the Blues and the Chiefs and if Kansas City really wants to you know stretch out that, you know, olive branch of St. Louis even further, a team that is still kind of in la-la land after Stan Kroenke pulled his bullshit a few years ago with the Rams, um, this might be the best way to do it. Think of the possibilities if the Hunt family decides to move the Mavericks up to the AHL, or if they even can, and establish a link with the St. Louis Blues. The Blues would be happy 
because their prospects and players would be within three hours of each other, about three and a half uh, down I-70. Uh, so you have in-state symmetry, you have proximity. I mean, Kansas City is far closer than San Antonio. It's closer than Chicago. Uh, it would make all the geographic sense in the world. You would also have a link between Kansas City and Tulsa, where the Blues ECHL team is currently, the Oilers. You know, Tulsa to Kansas City is not that hard to get to either. So you, you, you're you getting a regional kind of a setup here, which is kind of where teams are going right now to cut down on costs and make sure that they have access to their players and the minors more readily than um, having a team halfway across the country, like the Blues do with San Antonio. And imagine, if you will, like the Blues going to Kansas City and playing preseason games in Kansas City, like at the, uh, uh, what is it, the Sprint Center that's in Kansas City? I think that's what it is. Uh, the former Kemper Arena. Um, imagine that. And then imagine, if you will, the Chiefs coming to St. Louis for a preseason game. Uh, maybe when the new MLS stadium is built, Chiefs can play, you know, a preseason game in St. Louis. That'd be pretty cool. I, But at the same time, and, and, and this goes into my next point, I see the naysayers that are listening to me right now rolling their eyes or yelling at their phones or their car radios because there's also a feeling among St. Louisans that the Chiefs are being predatory in trying to weasel their way into St. Louis. Oh, the Hunt family voted for the Cronky move to Los Angeles. Oh, they voted against the Carson Project. It's an ulterior motive. Oh, no! You know, look, a year ago, I would have been that guy with that squeaky voice because I found it very hard to get back into the NFL. I've tried with a couple different teams. I tried getting back into the Packers like I was when I was a child. I tried getting into the Indianapolis Colts when I lived in Indiana. I even most recently tried getting into the New Orleans Saints before they decided that Antonio Brown was actually a good idea. And, oh, yeah, we're going to protect pedophiles as well. Uh, they're, they're the two different stories. There's a whole story about the Saints ownership uh, apparently working with the archdiocese in New Orleans to uh, protect uh, some priests that were pedophiles. Not good. And I... And, I, I can't support the Saints after that. But I like Pat Mahomes, and I like... And yeah, the Chiefs are, you know, Super Bowl champs. So, you know, bully on them. Um, I just find it very hypocritical that the big reason that a lot of St. Louisans are angry against the NFL and against Kroenke is because Kroenke did not believe in the city of St. Louis and he torched the city of St. Louis on the way out. And here you have at least one NFL team that hasn't forgotten about St. Louis and that is trying to build some goodwill. I don't see the problem in that. I really don't. And if you're still going to hold on to this notion that, well, the Hunt family voted for Kroenke, well, so did 29 other teams. And the only two teams that I know or I'm pretty sure that didn't vote for the Rams move and they wanted Carson instead, were the Raiders, who are moving themselves to Las Vegas and burning a city, although that's a different situation, um, or the Cincinnati Bengals. And let's face it, St. Louisans aren't going to cheer for Cincinnati anything because the Cars and Reds have a rivalry 
And let's face it, it's Cincinnati. Who gives a shit? So, and it's the Bengals. So who really gives a shit? So, are you going to sit there and hate all your life? I know I'm getting off into a tangent here. But the point being is, there is an opportunity here for the Blues and the Hunt family to work together here and establish and build that synergy even further. It's been a f- kind of a fun, budding friendship uh, between, you know, like the Mahomes and the Kelseys and the Binningtons and the O'Reillys. Um, I'm down for it. I am down for an AHL team in Kansas City. And I'm down for the possibilities that it could bring for both St. Louis and Kansas City. Now imagine when the Hyperloop gets built. That's a whole other story. The the Virgin Hyperloop, you know, that would take people to and from Kansas City uh, and St. Louis in a half an hour. Wouldn't that be cool? Um, I'm just saying, think of the possibilities and think beyond your own hate. Just, just give it a shot. Give it a shot. So... I'm sad the Rampage are, are are no longer going to be the affiliate. I'm sad that there continues to not be stability, but and I'm not happy that the Blues might have to go back to the Wolves for at least a season, and you know have the Wolves continue to neuter prospect development for the Blues. I mean, remember Jordan Binnington had to be shuttled off to Provi- uh, to the Providence Bruins for a year just so he can get playing time. That's how bullshit Chicago is. Uh, the Wolves are. Um, so, I'm just saying look at the possibilities, and I'm rooting for a St. Louis and Kansas City partnership. So, um, no analysis of hockey, really, this episode. I'm Again, like I said, I'm having to record this Friday because I am going to Chicago this weekend, the city that I just threw under a bus. But it's okay. This will air after I'm back from Chicago, so I'll, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. But I'm calling uh, Central States Developmental Hockey League uh, this uh, this weekend. Uh, by the time you listen to this, I'll have been done and over with. But it's the same league that has like the Afton Americans, the Junior Blues, the St. Peter's Spirit. A lot of the St. Louis area local teams go to Chicago and uh, play in the big tournament up there. So I'm calling that. It's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, But it's also a reason why uh, I'm not doing any like Blues analysis of the Jets game or the Stars game on Saturday because I just will not be around. So uh, next Thursday will be a more normal episode of Blue Notes. And now let's go ahead and fall into a trade vortex. I had Al Al McGinnis uh, on this podcast recently. I got to chat with him at the All-Star Game uh, festivities was a big honor because I love Al McGinnis so much. He, he was one of my favorites growing up, right up there with a Brett Hull. That's how much I revered him. And he is a subject of this particular Blue Notes march into history because it took seven trades for the Blues to get to Al McGinnis from a first-round bust in the 1979 NHL draft. The Blues were not good in the 1970s. You remember their trips to the Stanley Cup Finals in their first three years. And then after the third appearance, Scotty Bowman, the greatest coach of all time, leaves after getting into a snit with the Blues owner. And the bad play in the 70s ended up culminating with the second overall pick in the 1979 NHL draft. You do not remember who this player is because he did not have a particularly great NHL career. But on this week's Blue Notes March into History, I present to you the seven degrees of Perry Turnbull. 
Berenson knocks it by Van Imp and has a break. Berenson right in, he shoots. He scores! Berenson! A great goal again by the Redhead. So let's go back to 1979. The date, August 9th. Location, Montreal, Quebec, Canada. And we have the NHL draft, the Blues with the second overall pick. Now, in case you're wondering, the first overall pick was Rob Ramage a uh, defenseman who would eventually play for the St. Louis Blues and who would eventually get traded for Brett freaking Hall. He was drafted by the Colorado Rockies uh, in round number one. And um, the Rockies obviously no longer exist. They are now the New Jersey Devils. So the Blues came up for pick number two and they could have had Mike Gartner, Ray Bork, Michelle Goulet or Dale Hunter, another notable that was picked. Um, Kevin Lowe, a good defender for a long time. Uh, Neil Broughton, uh, Glenn Anderson, who was picked in, uh, in round number four. So that wasn't just the Blues that missed it. Or they could have had Thomas Steen, who was drafted in the fifth round. Um, but no, instead, the St. Louis Blues selected Perry Turnbull from the Portland Winterhawks of the Western Hockey League. Now, Perry Turnbull wasn't a bad player. I mean, he was he was okay. But for a second overall pick, he's a bust because he never was he never really merited that particular pick. And Turnbull ended up playing 4 years in the Blue Note. Uh, scored 34, 33, and 32 goals respectively in his final three years uh, with the Blues. Uh, was definitely a scorer, was not much of a passer. He had one of those guys that had more goals than he had assists. Uh, he also had a mean streak. He uh, spent a lot of time in the penalty box. He would get anywhere from 124 penalty minutes in his first season to 209 in his uh, second ever NHL season. And during his fifth season, the Blues decided it was time to move on from Perry Turnbull, and thus begins our trade vortex. Trade number one, December 21st, 1983. Perry Turnbull is traded to the Montreal Canadiens for center Doug Wickenheiser, defenseman Gilbert Delorme, and right winger Greg Peslowski. So the second overall pick of the 1979 NHL draft gets dealt for the first overall pick of the 1980 NHL draft. That would be Wickenheiser, a guy that was considered an even more massive disappointment for his team than Perry Turnbull was. And Wickenheiser would spend four years of the St. Louis Blues. He had 23 goals, 20 assists, 43 points in 68 games in 1984-1985. And then he did a whole lot of nothing else except get the pivotal game-winning goal in the Monday Night Miracle against the Calgary Flames. Uh, it's a goal that most Blues fans surely remember. If not, look it up. Uh, he ended up leaving the Blues. He was selected in the waiver draft in 1987, and he would peter out a few years later. 
Um, Pazlowski wasn't actually drafted, but he may have had the best career out of anyone the Blues got back for Turnbull. Uh, Pazlowski was a guy that would get anywhere from 22 goals to 29 goals. Uh, he was a decent offensive forward, but was not that he was not like a not like a top line or anything like that. He was he was decent though. He was decent. Um, Pazlowski was dealt with a third round pick in 1988-89. Uh, that third round pick became Chris Draper, by the way, uh, to Winnipeg for a third round pick in 1989. And that became in no one. And then they also got a second round pick in 1991 that became Steve Steos, who would become a physical defender uh, elsewhere from St. Louis. And then Gilbert Delorme was Montreal's first round pick in the 1981 NHL draft. Uh, and he was 18th overall, was drafted because he was an offensive minded defenseman who really did not uh, do much offense in St. Louis and quickly became a journeyman. And Delorme would journey his way to Quebec. This is trade number two of the Trade Vortex, October 2nd, 1985. Gilbert Delorme dealt to Quebec for defenseman Bruce Bell. And I like to think that Bruce Bell is the player that invented the expression, got his bell rung, because... Bruce Bell didn't do much of note in St. Louis except get his bell rung by Wendell Clark in a hit, one of the dirtiest hits that I've seen in hockey. Basically, I I can't actually play the clip for you here because of, you know, trademarks and all that, but Bruce Bell in a game against Toronto, he goes back behind the net to collect the puck And Wendell Clark charges at him, leaves his feet, and just completely pancakes Bell onto the ice. Bell would suffer a concussion, and he was not the same. And it looked like that Bruce Bell's career was going to be over. And quite frankly, this was the point in the straight vortex where it was under threat of being broken entirely. However... The New York Rangers apparently still thought they could rescue Bruce Bell and made a trade with the Blues. This is trade number three of the Vortex, May 28th, 1987. Bruce Bell and future considerations to the New York Rangers for left winger Tony McKegney and defenseman Rob Whistle. So McKegney was a journeyman himself. He had some really good goal-scoring seasons in Buffalo. He had 37 goals, 36 goals at one point for the Sabres. Uh, And he had kind of tapered off from those years and was considered, like Bell, to be something of a, you know, reject himself. And he must have found something in the waters of St. Louis because he hit the ground running in the uh, Gateway City, scoring 40 goals in 1987-1988 and having a total of 78 points. Next season, he only have 25, and he kind of started starting to taper off, and it was uh, kind of becoming clear that he was not going to be a long-term solution in St. Louis. Rob Whistle didn't do anything of note. Trade number four, June 15th, 1989. Tony McKegney and center Bernie Federko are dealt to Detroit for center Adam Oates and right winger Paul McLean. So we have one icon in Federko getting dealt for 
and, and McKechnie, of course, being dealt for two very notable players for very different reasons. So, of course, first of all, Bernie Federko, you know Bernie Federko, he's a Hall of Famer, he was featured in the All-Star Game, he's a broadcaster, he is like Mr. Blue, he's, Federko's great. And he was a great player for the Blues in the 1980s, one of the more underappreciated players in hockey history, in my opinion. But at the time that Federko was dealt to Detroit, he was at the end of his career. He only played one more year in Detroit, and he was done. And in exchange for Federko, the Blues get Adam Oates. Adam Oates, at the time this trade was done, was considered a middle six center. He was not considered a superstar. Uh, he was a guy that was was not bad, but I don't think Detroit saw where Adam Oates was going to go uh, in the St. Louis Blues uniform. Oates gets paired with Brett Hull. They make the Hull and Oates combination that ended all too soon, and he just exploded in St. Louis, and then he would continue his great career with Boston and Washington. More on that in a bit. Paul McClain was also a very notable player. He was kind of uh, very similar in stature to Federko in the 80s, and like Federko, he was at the end of his career. He did have a good year for the Blues in 1989-1990. He had 34 goals and 33 assists for 67 points in 78 games. Not a bad year. But then the next year, he got injured, and then he was done. So um, this trade vortex, though, continues with Adam Oates. Trade number five, February 7th, 1992. A trade that kind of makes me sick to my stomach when I see it. Adam Oates is traded to Boston for center Craig Janney and defenseman Stefan Kintal. Now, Brett Hall, very famously angry over this deal, very rightfully so. At the uh, core of it was, you know, the Blues just didn't want to pay Adam Oates. Simple as that. And Ron Caron, this was like, you know, at the height of his, you know, mad wheeling dealing days, trades Oates away for what he thought essentially was a poor man's Adam Oates and Craig Janney and Stefan Kintal, who was a pretty promising defenseman at the time. But as good as Oates was, it felt Janney was that disappointing. Uh, Janney, there's two things I remember about Janney's run in St. Louis. Number one, he was just about the softest NHL player I've ever seen. And he even came out of the late 80s, early 90s, rough and rugged era. That's saying a lot. And the second thing I remember is that Brendan Shanahan took his wife. Yes, I repeat that. Brendan Shanahan stole Craig Janney's wife. And guess what? They're still happily married. That's Craig Janney for you. Uh, Janney um, ends up going to San Jose for defenseman Jeff Norton, and Janney kind of faded in obscurity, you know, not too long after that. Uh, Stefan Kintal, he actually is what keeps this trade vortex alive. Trade number six, September 24th, 1993, Stefan Kintal dealt with forward Nelson Emerson to Winnipeg for defenseman Phil Housley. So Quintal was considered a promising defenseman, and Emerson was considered a pretty decent, you know, bottom six, you know, kind of a grindy forward. And the Blues, instead, they saw a chance to get a really good offensive defenseman in Phil Housley, and they thought that Housley was going to kind of take them up to the next level, if you will. Well, instead, Phil Housley only played 26 games for the Blues, Seven goals, 15 assists for 22 points. What happened? He got hurt. He missed much of the season. 
And then after the season, the Blues saw a chance to trade Phil Housley for a uh, upgrade, if you will. I think most people would have saw that as an upgrade when the trade happened. And history definitely shows this trade was an upgrade. So here we go. The moment you have all been waiting for. July 4th, 1994, Independence Day in St. Louis. Let freedom ring. Let the white dove sing. Let the whole world know that on this day, the Blues acquired Didier Tremblay. No, that's that's not the guy. Okay, they acquired the pick that became Didier Tremblay, but he's not important here. The trade was Phil Housley, a second-round pick in 1996 who became Steve Bajan, and a second-round pick in 1997 who became some guy named John Tripp, went to the Calgary Flames for defenseman Al McGinnis and a fourth-round pick in 1997 that became the aforementioned Tremblay who did nothing of note. Uh, Al McGinnis, you know, he was an icon in Calgary. He was a part of their Stanley Cup winning team in the uh, late 80s. And Al McGinnis' reputation was set at that point. Uh, The concern with McGinnis at the time was that he was, you know, past 30. And, you know, he was older. And he made a lot of money. And Calgary was... Not in, not in a position at that point to pay Al McInnes the money that, you know, the Blues were willing to pay. So they get Phil Housley in return, who's cheaper, and obviously the low-rent version of Al McInnes, especially when you consider the fact that Housley couldn't defend his own ass, much less his, you know, own zone, uh, whereas McInnes was a great two-way defenseman. And the rest is history. I mean, what what more do I need to say about Al McInnes? Hard, one of the hardest slap shots in the league Great two-way defenseman, maybe not the best skater, and he'd he'd admit that, uh, but just a very steady, strong leader. Um, you know, I, I can't say enough good things about McGinnis. I, I I have a man crush on the guy, and 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 I and after I got to meet him a couple weeks ago, it just got solidified because he's just one of the nicest people you ever meet. Just a nice kid from rural Canada. Uh, who ended up becoming one of the best defensemen in NHL history. And I think history kind of overshadows his contributions to St. Louis a little bit, just simply because he played alongside Chris Pronger. And Chris Pronger was a man-beast for the St. Louis Blues. He easily played his best years in the Blue Notes. And, of course, Pronger was so good, he even won the heart one year. That's how good Chris Pronger was. And McInnes was his number two. He was, he was his right-hand man, if you will. And my God, I don't think the Blues will ever have a pairing again quite like Pronger and McInnes. It was a special duo. It really was. But here you go. This is the trade vortex. This is, It took 15 years, seven trades, and a lot of other players and picks involved to get from Perry Turnbull's second overall selection in 1979 to the Blues' 1994 trade for Al McInnes. Funny that you, you know, it, it, and it's funny you got that year of separation there because McGinnis was actually drafted two seasons after Turnbull. McGinnis was the 15th overall pick in 1981. So both got their starts at about the same time, but it took 15 years for the Blues to claw their way from a bad pick into a Hall of Famer. And again, I like these tri- type of vortexes here. This is a result 
of just spending an afternoon on HockeyReference.com and just connecting trades uh, in the transaction section. It's a weird, fun habit of mine. Do you enjoy this? Do you like these historical segments? Let me know at Blue Notes Pod or at Tom Franklin KMOX on Twitter. I love to hear from you. If you want to call me, 314-329-4349, 314-329-4349. Call it, text to 24-7. Uh, did you get any value from this uh, trade vortex? Where does Al McGinnis rate for you? And do you have any other interesting connections like this? Like this is a seven degrees of uh, Perry Turnbull. Earlier this season, I was able to connect uh, Brendan Shanahan to Jordan Bennington in a series of five trades. So do you want to see more of this? Do you have any other connections that you can pass along to me? Let me know. 314-329-4349. Call it, text it, and you will be heard on the next episode of Blue Notes. So that's going to do it for this episode of Blue Notes. I want to thank you for listening because without you, there is no me, there is no Hockey Podcast Network, and there is no Blue Notes. I'm Tom Franklin reminding you to... listening to the Hockey Podcast Network on Twitter at HockeyPodNet. New episodes every Monday and Thursday. Download at the HockeyPodcastNetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from.